Robertson. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We're on time this week after the buys. The Texans get right and return to health. Fitzmagic lays a path in the AFC South as we'll be taking a look around the league, the season in review, a glance at the draft, but getting ready for that trip to Maryland to shackle the scrambler in Charm City. Thanks again for joining us on the Turn Up For What podcast. This week we're joined by Gordon McGuinness, Senior Analyst from PFF. we got Gordon on this week, obviously being the Texans by, we've got no game to look back at last week, but want to take a look around the league. Um, certainly some interesting results. Certainly a strange weekend and not one for the better, this, you know, the league. I think every week and what makes it great is it just continues to throw up odd results and certainly the, the, the Norland Saints dropping at home against the... One and seven Falcons was a tough one. Uh, the Cowboys again struggling um, at home and, and dropping to the Minnesota Vikings. It looked like they're getting themselves into form at the right time. The Browns potentially pushing back a team that was muchly hyped in the off season, not necessarily lived up to that, but got a win against uh, got a win against Buffalo, which was great for the Texans as well. So, and I think when you look at you know Atlanta and New Orleans, for example, this week. You've Atlanta, who their season's basically over, but at, they're at that midpoint in the year where they've made some changes to the coaching team, and all of a sudden they come out, put forth a defensive performance that we've not seen from them all year, um, and basically completely shut down a Saints team that are like the second favorite to go win the Super Bowl. So um, I always find these kind of couple of weeks in the middle of the season quite interesting because it can quite easily uh, lead to quite a few upsets. I think. Yeah, it was it was a strange game. I think you know, you saw Breeze taking sacks in the red zone, which he very rarely does. And you and I saw the Texans play Atlanta when we were over there this year, and they were a funny team because actually they were quite capable of putting up points. They just kind of looked like a bit out of sorts for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's that sort of Super Bowl hangover that's still hanging over them, but they for whatever reason uh, they just. They, they, they just seem to come to life. I don't know if it's, you know, when you play a divisional game, sometimes both, you know, teams kind of edge each other out a bit and there's that familiarity there. But it was it was a strange game to watch, I think, from and particularly some of the clips that we've seen back. It was it was a team that had done really well without their quarterback uh, playing. And Bridgewater comes in and they win games. They get Breeze back and they've almost kind of not looked quite as sharp as they did. So it was a strange one. I think, obviously, from a Texans point of view, the big upset in the... AFC South was a team that was trying to tank. Uh, I've now won two games in a row. Yeah, I think the the decision to go back to Ryan Tannehill um, has led to them winning two games in Miami. And realistically, when you look at their schedule the rest of the way, they could win, you know, another two possibly um, games the rest of the way. You look at the fact they play Cincinnati, who I think now look comfortably the worst team in football. So Miami are probably going to get to three wins, and all of a sudden that. Uh, locked in number one pick in the draft to get your quarterback is no longer there. Um, they're, they had an additional second round pick, obviously, from the Texans. They've got an additional one from Pittsburgh that the Steelers traded when they were, I think, one and four. And that looked like it was going to be a high pick. And all of a sudden, the Steelers have rattled off four wins in a row. And all of a sudden, that pick's now going to be in the 20s. So Miami's massive draft haul is now looking a lot less certain to, to lead them to uh, a franchise quarterback, which... You know, I understand where the position of head coach Brian, Brian Flores, there's no head coach in the NFL that I think is going to go out there on a Sunday and try and lose games. Um, 
but from an organizational standpoint, the the ability for Miami to build for the future does seem quite reliant on wanting to have a premier pick in the draft. And it's quite bunched up at the at the top part of the draft. So it's going to be interesting to see how high a pick Miami end up with, especially if they stick with Fitzpatrick the rest of the way. I think that there's a you can reasonably make a case for them to go back to Josh Rosen late in the year just to see you know, what do we have in this guy and see, do we need to draft a quarterback? And I think from what Rosen's shown us so far, that would probably lead to some more losses. But yeah, right now they don't look like a team that are going to be the worst team in football. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one because you thought, you know, okay, it's a rebuild year. You've got a new coach come in. Players actively want to leave. You know, they've got their sort of star defensive back gets put on IR when questionably there wasn't anything wrong with them. And you start to think, right, okay, it's just going to be a grind it out, not a good one for the fans. And then Fitzpatrick comes back in, and and you know he's 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 one of the best at grinding out results, and you know giving everything he's got. And <laughs> it was inter- I mean, it was great for the Texans. Obviously, Vinatieri looks like he could be uh, on his last uh, last season for sure. Yeah, he, he's. I think he's done. I think that that has been a. a I, I think there was there was hints of it the last couple of years. You know, he wasn't quite as reliable, but. I mean, he's he's just fallen off a cliff entirely. I think I, I think there was even a rumor that he was going to retire. There was a game earlier this season that he was really bad, and uh, there was rumors that he was going to retire the the following day. Like he'd announced that he needed to talk to the media on the Tuesday, and then nothing came of that. I think it's it's pretty likely that this is going to be his last year. I think based on based on how he's playing. Yeah, it's an odd year in in, in uh, Indianapolis. I think the Texans are the beneficiary of some of that, but. The um, obviously the kicker issue. I mean, he, he won them a game against Denver not so long ago in a low-scoring game, but they don't quite. I mean, obviously, as it, no team is as as plays to the same level without their starting quarterback. Brissett was held out, what I believe was precautionary with his MCL sprain. I'll be interesting to see if he's back against the Jags this week, but certainly an interesting one from uh, from a Texans point of view because they've kind of gone off the boil at the, I mean, probably the worst time possible as we get into the sort of middle stretch as you're kind of facing down the barrel of your of your running, and then for them to kind of to uh, to, to to lose some of the momentum they had was 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 interesting. I, I thought another one was um, was certainly the uh, the Chiefs as well. Um, again, a, a team that I, I saw live and in, in, when we were over there and you know. Pretty impressive, but uh, when you've got Derek Henry running the ball, the former Heisman winner, and you can't, you're not great against the run. Um, it's that was that was the big factor. I mean, Tannehill's given them a, a bit of a spark, but certainly it looks like that you know a team that potentially has got the best quarterback in the league at last year's MVP. Obviously, a bit banged up, but when they can't stop the run, a lot of teams are got you know they're going to struggle to to get results in tight games like they did on Sunday against the Titans in, in Nashville. Yeah, and I think you know there's been. They had to deal with the the Mahomes injury, Mahomes as well. It he was it was always going to be unlikely that he was going to deliver exactly what he did last year because that was kind of otherworldly, um, and he's still been very good. He's just not been quite at that ridiculous level. And when you take that and add in the fact that their defense has has played poorly in a lot of spots, that's the kind of thing that's going to cost you another couple of games. And from a team that you know a few weeks into the season looked quite comfortably like a team that would push New England and probably be one of the top two seeds in the AFC. All of a sudden now, you look at the AFC West and, you know, the Raiders aren't going to feel like they're out of the division race at this point, which that, I mean, that's one of the biggest shocks of the season so far. I think that Oakland think they're 
you know, are in a realistic position to challenge for the division um, 10 weeks into the season. As we get to the run-in, they play each other. Um, Oakland's run-in really isn't too bad. So Kansas City, from being a team that looked comfortable, look look now that they'll be fighting both to you know get that by and also just to make sure they win the division. I think they in the next couple of weeks, they really need to... Uh, just kind of try and hold off the Raiders' charge a little bit because you don't want to get late in the season and um, and you know have have that be a lot tighter than you thought it was going to be. I think really for me that the Raiders, in terms of the the job that um, that Gruden's done, obviously once they got past the the drama of the uh, Antonio Brown um, highs and lows of training camp and lived it out on on television in front of everybody to see, I think the job that Gruden's done and what is a really really young football team. Is, is pretty remarkable, really. I think the, the week we played them, we yeah, we just scraped by uh, with a sort of miraculous play by Deshaun late on, famously got kicked in the eye and still through the touchdown. <laughs> yeah. um, but that was a tough game. I think we started slow, but, you know, they, they were good on defence. Uh, he's getting the best out of Carr, who's, you know, a mid to, you know, mid to average quarterback, I think, at best. And he, uh, he seems to have done a good job. You know, he was out of football for a long time, but it's come back in. And it, it, you know, and he got a ten-year contract. A lot of people sort of scoffed at that, but he's he's definitely got them in a position. You know, they're five and five, sitting after their win on Thursday night. They're looking pretty good. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at a couple of years ago when they traded Khalil Mack to Chicago, I think you know everyone. There are a lot of Bears fans at the start of this season were very boisterous about the fact that you know there's no way that the Raiders would make the playoffs over the over the Bears this year because you know they had. A good year last year, and they still had this great defense, and and all of a sudden, with the Bears' struggles, the Raiders have used those picks to, you know, they were able to get Josh Jacobs one of those picks. Um, Farrell, I think, had probably his best game of the season this week as well. So all of a sudden, they've used those draft picks to, you know, to start to turn that team around, and I think they still have more picks in the next draft as well. So uh, it's an interesting time for them as they they get ready to head to Las Vegas. Um, they're going to be in a fairly comfortable spot, I think, to try and build a half-decent team. It's interesting because when you look at the, as you touched on the Bears when they when they when they traded Mac out to out to Chicago, that that and we'll come on to another one is a very much win now move. Um, and I think okay that he threw you know three touchdowns on on uh, on Sunday against a, an underhand Detroit team, but. Trubisky, and it's a continual media narrative every week. But that that pick of Trubisky won, and I think the the sort of perhaps false position that the Bears potentially thought they were in. Because uh, I watched a, a documentary at the start of the season with Vernon Kay and it talking about how they thought this was their year, and it's probably there. Or with well, I don't think there's much probably about it. I think they're the biggest disappointment in football at the minute in terms of the performances they've turned in as a team. Uh, and as they've turned in, or their supposed franchise passers turned in. Yeah, and I think you know if you looked at everything heading into the season, they they were always probably the biggest candidate to regress beyond like what the expectations of them were. I know um, our data scientists had one of their bets that they absolutely banged on about all off season was the Bears under. I think it was nine or ten wins. I can't remember what the over under was, but whole off season they spent saying that's that's the if you're looking for a um, wins line to hit it's hitting the bears under because Trubisky's stat line wasn't as good as his performances last year and defense generally is a lot less stable than offense particularly 
when you look at the quarterback position as well. So those two things just made it likely that the Bears weren't going to be as good as they were a year ago. Um, you know, you're not you're not always going to get lucky. You're, sometimes you're going to get a little bit of bad luck, which is what they've had. Um, and all of a sudden now you're in a position where you have a quarterback problem, but in trading for Khalil Mack, you don't have the draft picks to do anything about that. So they're going to be in a position next year where you assume they're not going to go with Trubisky, barring something happened in the next six, seven weeks. Um, anyone in Chicago has to know that he, 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 at the very least, has to spend some time on the bench to try and figure stuff out, but very probably just isn't the answer. At which point, are they going to go out and make a trade for you know, a Cam Newton, a Teddy Bridgewater, maybe even a guy like Andy Dalton who could probably actually put up pretty decent numbers um, in Matt Nagy's offense, probably a little bit the same way that Gruden's got the best out of Derek Carr this year. I think someone like Nagy could actually deliver a half-decent season out of Andy Dalton. Or, you know, do they use their second-round pick on a quarterback, but that's not going to be one of the top guys in the draft. It's more likely to be someone like, you know, maybe like a Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma, something like that. So they've put themselves in a position where they thought they were very much win now. And not only are they not win now, it's probably hurt them for the next three, four years because it's it's a problem that's difficult to fix in the short term. And if you look at <clears throat> talking about a team moving in the Raiders earlier, also talking about the, the Rams obviously going to settle into the new stadium next season. From, from their point of view, again, trading for Jalen Ramsey, similar to the Bears, going all in on a position now. I mean, Ramsey's probably, you know, if not the... Number one, he's you know joint conversation of, of the number one shutdown corner in the league and gives defenses a lot of uh, a lot of flexibility on the back end and allows other players to be really aggressive for the ball and you know you saw a big difference from the Jacksonville team that I watched in London you know just over a week ago um, to to the team now and he's such a huge player in that team now the Rams have went and have went and out and executed a big trade two first round picks. Uh, and almost find themselves in the same position the Bears. Goff was questionable. I think he was a good game manager. McVeigh, you know, coached the life out of him and made their offense look, you know, you know, look, albeit it was relatively basic, but it was well disguised. And I think they're now in a position where they don't look like they've got a huge amount to believe in because they lost a lot of, of players on the line. Goff's not got quite the same uh, the same time as he had to throw, and that off offense just looks nowhere near as fluid as it did before. And then they lose to you know an underhand, albeit a great defense and a really emerging defense in the Steelers. But I don't know where it's gone wrong for them on on offense in terms of uh, Goff and 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 Gurley and and guys that were you know leading the league in in many categories. You know, just over a year ago. I think it starts up front. Their their offensive line has gone from being one of the best in the NFL um, a couple of years ago to being one of the worst. I mean, you could make the case it's probably in the bottom five in the NFL this year. Um, and I think what's led to that is left tackle Andrew Whitworth uh, is getting a lot older now. I think he's late 30s now. Um, was good in his first year in LA, but seems to have really come to a bit of a halt in his career. So um, that's had a big impact. They've also had some injuries in the interior in the offensive line. I think they used... It's either two or three guys at centre on um, on Sunday there. Uh, and Rob Havenstein at right tackle hasn't been as good as he's been in the past. So with you know, problems all along the offensive line, that messes with the timing of your offence, things like that. Um, and they just haven't been able to to recover from that. You know, And on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's great going and getting a player like Jalen Ramsey 
But the flip side is the guy they traded away was Marcus Peters. And I think Peters is such a weird player because when you look at what he's done over the course of his career, gives up a ton of yards, gives up a ton of catches. But he's also a ball hawk. He knows how to find the ball. And when he finds it, he knows how to take it back for a touchdown. I think so far this season, if you take what he's done in LA and now in Baltimore, he's only allowed like 18 catches and he's had three interceptions returned for touchdowns. Um, but in the second half of the year, you could easily see him allowing 50, 50 receptions because when you look at what he's done over the course of his career, he will go through stages where he can easily give up 100, 150 yards in a game. And, you know, you just you kind of have to live with that. But when you look at the defensive side of the ball, sometimes that's not the worst thing in the world. If you know if you know that you you potentially need to give him some help over there with some safety help over the top, but you know that if he undercuts something, it's going to give you seven points, you know, giving you seven points definitely offsets the potential of giving up, you know, 80 to 100 yards. Um, so they go from that to a guy like Ramsey, who teams generally avoid a lot more, um, and you don't then get the variance. And I think that potentially has a detrimental effect as well. I think on defense where the Rams were in the past, you know, when they traded for um, Peters or when they signed Peters and picked up Aqib Tlaib, they were going for guys who can make big differences on defense and score. Um, and I think that's probably the best way to play defense in the NFL in 2019 is you understand that there are some great offenses and some great quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And even good defenses are capable of giving up 30 points in a game. So if you can have a defense that is going to force some turnovers or is going to um, return some of those turnovers for touchdowns themselves, that then can give you a boost and give you a position where you can win games that you shouldn't have won. And I think that's kind of where the Rams are lacking on the defensive side of the ball this year. They aren't winning games that they should um, should have lost with turnovers. Yeah, it just seems they just can't piece or peace or sustain drives in the, in the way that they did. And uh, it's certainly, you know, when you, you see them putting up, you know, points in the teens like they did at the weekend, you know, you're always going to be susceptible to a loss if you're under that sort of 20, 21, 24 points, you know, mark. And it's an interesting to see how they've gone. And it, I think it's an interesting complexion in the in the AFC this year where it seems to be a bit more spread. I think teams like Green Bay have definitely, from, from all the reports when the Texans... I uh, had uh, a preseason game, but also had joint practices with them. That very much, it was like that was a very soft team. It was was much of the report, and it was very much the Texans dominated them uh, in in joint practice against the starters. Whereas they've come out, and actually, it looks like you know Lafleur and and uh, <clears throat> and Rogers have have managed to find a common ground, and they seem to be playing pretty well. A strong defense at the weekend, and then you know the, the sort of perhaps one of the surprises in the NFC. Uh, in the, within the context of Cam Newton going down um, with Allen in a quarterback for the for the Panthers, of you know the the uh, they put up a good fight, but certainly Rogers and Co had enough for them, and certainly you know them and and we'll come on to tomorrow or we'll come on to last night's game in a minute, but um, certainly the the Packers have, have been a been a bit more of a, a surprise, and potentially some of us might have given them credit for going into the year. Yeah, and I think that's that's not a place teams are going to want to go in January. You know, it, it obviously doesn't have the same vaunted feel it did back in the early 2000s but it's still Lambeau Field in January it's going to be cold it's going to be miserable to play in um, and yeah I think the thing with Aaron Rodgers uh, at this point in his career he just doesn't make a lot of mistakes like he he leads the NFL 
um, with like almost 30 throwaways, I think, this year. If it's not there, he's just going to get rid of the ball and not make a mistake. He's only thrown two picks. Um, but he's making a lot more big plays than he did a year ago. Uh, and I think him and LeFleur are definitely on the same page. There's definitely enough trust there, whatever they need to be doing. Um, and, you know, he's had to deal with some issues at wide receiver this year. Devontae Adams getting hurt and beneath him and that wide receiver group, it's not. They don't have a ton of talent, but they've still managed to find ways. They've been able to find plays with Jimmy Graham. They've been able to find... Uh, plays with the running backs out the backfield and both running backs are running the ball pretty well um so yeah they're they're a team who on offense everything seems to be clicking for them and they went aggressively after defense the last two off seasons if you look at what they've done um both in the draft and free agency adding guys like jair alexander um at cornerback and then getting both uh smiths both sedarius and preston smith this off season uh, as uh, pass rushers um, and I think Zadarius Smith's done a really good job. He's a guy you, you can move around the defense as well. So he can line up at the on the edge. But then on third and eight, third and ten, you can line him up at three tech and on the defensive interior. Um, and he can cause huge problems for guards because he's quicker than them. So, uh, yeah, they've done a great job building themselves up for a run, you know, this season, next season, as we get to what is probably the twilight of Rodgers' career. Yeah, it's an interesting one in the NFC because I think if they take it the... The sort of two perhaps after Green well Green Bay's probably sandwiching between the two up to this point. But from that that game last night, which probably after the Texans Saints on, on week one was probably the best game that's been on TV. Uh, and you know, Russell Wilson in, in that uh, you know in in that environment on the road, kind of almost regardless of his talent or regardless of the situation, seems to be able to find ways to make that team tick. And I don't know quite how he does it at times, because he's definitely not got you know the wealth of talent that some you know some teams do, but he he's got one of these these uh, abilities that you know only the special ones do that raises everybody else's game around them. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think you can see you can see what he's been able to do this season. It's not it's not quite the same as it's been in seasons before where there's been the huge hail marys, but there's still enough of those plays whereby he's extending plays and making things happen that you know other quarterbacks just can't do. There's not that many quarterbacks can do what he can do. And yeah, it's, it's definitely been a big thing for the Packers this year. Yeah. And you think for the, in terms of the, uh, in terms of the game last night, and I, I think I still question sometimes, and I think he, he is a good game manager, but there was some passes that he threw or on the last drive there where Garoppolo almost, you know, coughed the, you know, gave the game away. Um, they've been a really good running team and, in Shanahan and that that sort of zone uh, play action scheme, you know, he took the Atlanta to the Super Bowl comfortably, and you know he's got the potential to make this team on a run last put or put them on a run this season. Obviously, a bit of a setback last night from from Russell Wilson and Co. But um, and and uh, certainly the, a sore one for us in the off season was the the standout of uh, Jadavian Clowney last night. It was a it was a certainly a good good game. What did you make of it? Yeah, and Clowney's such an interesting player because he's never really put up the big sack numbers that I think people expected um, when he was coming out of uh, South Carolina. But when you look back at his play, as much as people expect him to be this dominant sack artist, I think he, he was a far better player at setting the edge in the run game and was kind of like an inconsistent pass rusher. And I think you saw that in Houston as well, whereby he would have games where I think later on in his career in Houston, it came on, he came on a little bit more. 
but he would have games where he was a good pass rusher. He just didn't have long stretches where he was. He's probably a little bit similar as a player to Terrell Suggs when he was in Baltimore and a guy who can really set the edge for your defense and do a really good job of kind of preventing big runs breaking down that side, um, but just isn't going to consistently give you uh, massive production as a pass rusher. But since he's got to Seattle, that's now a couple of games he's had where, you know, he's kind of taken over the game and he's given people serious problems. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just a, a one-season rental for Seattle or maybe they wind up signing them long-term. But similar to the, the Packers, they're trying to win a Super Bowl um, as, you know, Russell Wilson gets a little bit older. I think he's obviously not quite not quite in the later stages of his career yet. Um, but going and getting a guy like Clowney who can have a couple of games a year that he's going to be really disruptive um, and his base level is going to be good enough that he's not a liability on your team um, is a pretty big thing for them. And I think that showed last night. Yeah, I think you're, you're probably spot on there in terms of Clowney. And we've touched upon it in a podcast a couple of weeks ago that, you know, Houston made him a number of offers. And I think where he saw his value was, you know, in the, in the realms of someone that plays like he did last night consistently every week and, you know, we know that, that that's not the case. I mean, in terms of the eye test and in terms of a freak athlete, you know, he's probably one of the best in the league, if not, you know, the best at a pound-for-pound pound athlete. Um, but he, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously tough to see when we, we actually paid, a, you know, a substantial proportion of that contract for for uh, for Seattle to take him this year and, you know, and got not a lot back uh, for him in the trade. And, it's, you know, I mean, we could have done with him this year. We could have held on to him this year and said, you know, you're playing under the tag and then after that, you know, you're good to go. Um, so it's kind of tough to see that. But, you know, Seattle, he's, he's in the NFC, so we don't, you know, don't have to see him this year. Where, where he'll end up, Someday I'll write him a check. It'll be one of the potentially be one of the teams that have got uh, got more cap space. If Seattle are not necessarily willing to do it, I don't know. When you when you pay your quarterback as they did Wilson, it's going to inhibit your ability to to splash out on other positions. And as you said, if you know for a for a guy that sets the edge and stuffs the run, but consistently great. But that doesn't that doesn't necessarily come with with huge dollars. Um, so we'll move on a bit, talking around the around the league this week, and we'll take a bit of a look at the, the Texans in terms of in terms of the uh, in terms of the kind of PFF slant and in terms of uh, Gordon's perception of them. The the number one Houston Texans player that grades out in PFF this year by ninety point two is DJ Reader, a guy who the Texans chose not to pay in the off season. Um, I said at the time I was very cautious of that decision that did you know the O'Brien talked publicly in the press conference they tried to get it done couldn't necessarily come to an agreement on a value about now three four nose tackles don't necessarily always get the, the money they necessarily should do uh we saw Grady Jarrett pick up a big contract this off season um so Gordon in terms of your standout is DJ Reader up there for you certainly in terms of the numbers he's 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 uh he's kicking a bit of tail in the, in the middle of the defense this year yeah, he's been really good. He's he's outstanding against the run, and I think that there's something about you know there's obviously especially from an analytics perspective there there is often the the talk about how the running game doesn't matter. Um, and obviously, sure, running running backs don't matter. But when it comes to the running game, um, if you can on defense, if you can stop the run with uh, guys up front, particularly nose tackles or um, interior defensive linemen, anyway it frees up the rest of your defense to be focused on the pass. Um, and that's something that having a guy like Reader up there um, is doing for the Texans. I mean, a great year as a run defender, but he's also been 
solid as a pass rusher and I think that's the combination you want if you if you want to get paid as a as an interior defensive lineman in the NFL you have to be able to rush the passer at at least a competent level um and I think that's something that that Reader's done um this season I think if you look at his career so far um it's somewhere that you know we've seen him improve a lot in in this season compared with seasons past um his best for us so we track not just tracking sacks, we're tracking sacks, hits and hurries, so total pressures. Uh, heading into this year, his best season was 2018 where he had 24 total pressures. Uh, he's already got 21 this year uh, and he's played you know, just over a little of half the snaps that he played last year. So he's probably making himself um, a decent bit of money this year, not just by being a dominant run defender, which is going to get some teams' attention, but the fact that he's adding a little bit as a pass rusher as well. Um, that's probably going to get teams to open up their checkbook in the off season. Yeah, I think it's an undervalued position. I think particularly, you know, with like Pro Bowl selections or All Pro selections, a, a three-four nose doesn't necessarily fit into their uh, into their two teams that they pick, AFC and NFC. So it'll be interesting. I mean, the the dominance that he's he's created in the uh, in in the pass rush this season versus previous years. He was a great run stuffer, freed up the guys around them to go and make plays. But this year, he's just you know, there's, there's there was a play against. The uh, against the Raiders, where he literally walked back to the guys in the, you know Carr's lap, and that, that was just a a small you know uh, a small uh, window into how good this guy's become, and he's certainly you know hopefully he'll be in the in the Houston for for beyond this season because I mean for a for a for a late round pick to to flourish in the way he's done, he did get the year under Vince, uh, Vince Wilfork to learn. He's 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 done he's done fantastically well. So so Gordon, in terms of uh, the Texans, as of week ten, uh, they were ranked eighth in the uh, in the PFF power rankings from your outside perce- perception, looking in. What do you, what do you make of this team to this point? Yeah, I think you know they look very much like a team that. They, they should be the favourite to win the AFC South. Um, and at that point, it then becomes where do they finish in um, in the seedings in terms of when they get to the playoffs. Um, we know, I think it's, I think the last team to not be a one or two seed in the AFC and make the um, Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl was like the 2012 Ravens or something. So we know that you really have to finish in those top two seeds if you want to give yourself the best chance of making the Super Bowl. Um, and I think, you know, the Texans have the schedule set up for that um, in the second half of the year. This weekend, they go to Baltimore, then they've got New England on the horizon as well. Um, and if they can pick up wins in those two games, then all of a sudden they're going to put themselves in the driver's seat um, for a first round bye, which will be huge. And the other thing is, you know, obviously Deshaun Watson, I think he's taken a step forward again this year. Um, and on top of just in general being a good quarterback and you know having some great throws that he's made this year, he's also got that little bit of like a Superman capability about him that's you know always capable of producing something a little bit special. I think it's what all the great quarterbacks have, you know, be it an Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, people like that who they'll always find a way to make plays and it's it's like that play um against the Raiders where you know he gets kicked in the face and then still able to throw a touchdown things like that are the things that separate guys who are good quarterbacks guys who are you know excellent game managers or quarterbacks who can be a little bit up and down from the guys who are going to be at the top in the NFL and anytime you've got a guy like Deshaun Watson who can be as good as a quarterback as he is and also have the ability to just 
turn things on a little bit in the final two minutes, the final five minutes of a game when he needs to. Um, that's going to make you a dangerous team uh, heading into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, on this on this team, it's been a huge step forward. You know, Deshaun, you can tell in the way he plays, and he's always he's always going to have that, you know, something from you know or something from nothing uh, attitude to his game, and the the, the play is never over. But the 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 big step forward, and you know, you and I talked about it before, Gordon, but about the um, the offensive line, it was you know we t- t- touched on the Rams and how that's pushed them back, but the big step forward for this team, and I think the the, the offensive MVP out with Watson has been Laramie Tunsil. Now, false start penalties aside, he seems to have a knack to pick those up. Um, but certainly for, from from my point of view, in terms of the way he solidified the left side of the line, and not only then, brought two rookies into the uh, in, into the lineup and Max Sharpen at left guard and, and Titus Howard at right tackle, who um, had his highest grade with PFF last week against the against the Jags in Wembley when he came back and he looked dominant as a rookie and, you know and that that pick was slated uh, by a lot of draft nicks um, but he certainly it's um, he the line has taken such a step forward and I think that you know that's part of it uh, part of his confidence but when I, when a guy's got a platform to step into um, and make throws like he does then it's 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 really changed the complexion of this offense yeah and I think the other thing with um as much as the offensive line was a huge issue in Houston, a lot of the pressure that Deshaun Watson takes, a lot of the hits he takes, it's just kind of the nature of the way he plays because he kind of drifts around the pocket looking to make plays and you know he's looking to, he's always looking for an avenue to move around to, not necessarily to run, but to to be able to you know get the pass off. That quite often leads to leverage being blown for offensive linemen. So while the offensive line was bad, I think a lot of the sit- sacks and hits that he was taking in the past were things that he could have probably done a little bit to avoid himself um so improving the offensive line doesn't fix everything doesn't prevent you from taking hits at quarterback but it does take away some of those quick pressures and some of those things that can just totally ruin drives um i think howard's been definitely better than expected um especially because you know he wasn't regarded as one of the top tackles in the draft and i think they they just missed out on um, Dillard who went to the to the Eagles, um, so to get a guy like that who's performing above expectation in year one's a great boost, and then as you said, Tunzel's been really good as a pass blocker, one of the best pass blocking left tackles in the NFL this year, um, and if 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 that even just gives a little bit more confidence to uh, to Deshaun Watson at quarterback, then then that's great. I think I, I personally I still wouldn't trade the capital they traded for him because. It sets you up for a position whereby it, the the value in draft picks is so high if you hit on them that you know you're not having to pay a top player for four or five years. Um, when you give up those top picks, it's not great. But th- what the Texans have got for the trade um, so far is working out for them, so you can't fault it too much. It's funny because you you've seen that around the league this year. That I think in, I I read something the other day that. There was over sixty odd trades in the league versus you know thirty something in the year prior, and you know at the time a lot of people said you know it's a lot to give up, but you know ultimately you got a developed left tackle that came in day one, and then we also got a wide receiver who quickly built uh, with in Kenny Stills quickly built up the trusted Deshaun, which is notoriously hard to get in this offense, and if you if he doesn't trust you, you won't see the ball. So I I think the it is a lot to give up, but I think it, it accelerates a process of of um, of development that you know in two or three years down the line albeit JJ is out this season and it's been a big blow to this team but you know when these guys are past their prime in two years two to three years time 
um, you know, potentially Hopkins included in that as well, is is that you know you get a developed prospect in, and you'll be brought in Garen Connolly as well, who didn't succeed particularly in in uh, Oakland. And we had uh, Oakland fans on here to say, you know, you can keep him. You know, thanks for the third round pick, but he's come he's come into this team, and he looks like in a much better position to succeed than he did previously. And sometimes it's about fit, you know. And I think we brought it in, but there has been a whole lot of trades around this around the league this year as. You know, GMs, front offices are feeling that bit more of the pressure, and there's a bit more of that win now. You, there was talk of uh, Mara or uh, Jim Mara on the, the the Giants owner, you know, visible, uh, you know, visibly angry at the way in which his team has been portrayed in the media and how they're playing. So, um, you know, that that win now culture is definitely coming in. You're seeing people more inclined to give up, you know, which is effectively lottery balls if you don't hit. Um, if you do hit, yeah, it's a it's a double win because you get them on a good contract. But if you don't hit with them. You know they slip into insignificance, and the average uh, the average uh, length of a, a player in the in the NFL is under three years. So it's been interesting from a league wide point of view. It's not just been the Texans that have done that, but although it was probably the biggest trade of the season, uh, Jalen Ramsey aside, that there's been a big big swing towards um, you know going for known things, which is actually a big trend in sort of NBA and and uh, MLB, and it seems to have kind of seeped over a bit. Yeah, I think you're seeing as well. It's almost teams adjusting to, it's taken them a couple of years, but the new CBA um, comes with it almost some cheat codes for teams if you get there. So if you if you can hit on a young quarterback in the draft um, in the first round, you're paying him so far below market value for three or four years. Um, you know, you assume that year one, he's either not going to play that much or it's going to be a kind of lost year with his development anyway. But years two, three, and four, um, if he can if he can develop into you know a top 10 15 quarterback um and then you've got the 50 year option with him as well when you know backup quarterbacks around the NFL these days are getting you know they're pushing 15 20 million a year and you're paying your starter 5 million a year you saw it in Philadelphia the reason why they were able to win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles is because they could afford to pay Nick Foles because Carson Wentz was co- was costing them peanuts despite the fact that he was like the second overall pick in the draft so I think you're seeing teams correct a little bit towards what the CBA is in the sense that if you're a team who have a young quarterback and you are chasing a Super Bowl with that three, four-year window with not paying much money at quarterback, you're going to go out and you're going to be aggressive and you're going to try and trade for star players that can hopefully put you over the top. And the flip side is if you're a team like Miami who you know know you're not in that position to be um, chasing for a Super Bowl right now, but what you want is draft capital for the next two, three seasons, you're fine to say, right, okay, we're gonna we're gonna trade away Minka Fitzpatrick and get a first round pick for him because we know we're not gonna be in a position to use him properly and get the value for two or three years. So we might as well get more picks to try and hit on a quarterback that can allow us to then be in that position. You know, we've seen that the Browns kinda go down that route as well. Um and then the flip side, obviously, is teams trying to be there. The, the Texans, the Bears, the Rams, all teams who have said, right, we have our rookie quarterback that we're not paying big money to yet. Let's maximise this window. Let's go out and get the players we need to to be that difference maker um, as we try and get to a Super Bowl. You're exactly right, Gordon. I think in terms of having that confidence to go out, I think the Texans don't make those trades unless you've got a guy who, you know, you can see this year that O'Brien implicitly trusts to run the offence and, has multiple plays at his, at his disposal at the line of scrimmage, and he, he's, he's like you said earlier, he's come on leaps and bounds. So that confidence they have in that position, you know, it's the hardest position in any sport to fill. And once you fill it, and as you said, once you get them on the deal, I think you know, I think Mahomes and Watson will probably 
um, I'll, uh, I'll I'll be due for a, a deal this uh, this this off season, and obviously we've only got one more year of the CBA, and after that, you know, it's anybody's guess, and I would think. Uh, based on the progress they've made in the current uh, discussions, it's probably heading towards a lockout like it did the last time. So, um, in two thousand and nine. So it'd be interesting, interesting to see how that one pans out because I think teams have been almost over aggressive, perhaps with the uncertainty of what the new trade uh, trade deal looks like with the players union and potentially, you know, the, the, they see a, a spike in salary, uh, you know, or, or percentage value that goes to the players because that's the biggest, you know, hurdle to agree the next one. So it'd be interesting to see. Gordon, we've touched on it a couple of times and I will just very briefly in about about the draft and in terms of the the uh, the players that, that, that you see coming out as potential stars. I mean, from my point of view, because it was... There was Trevor Lawrence, who seems to potentially not quite hit the heights he did last season. I think Jerry Judy um, is potentially, you know, the next coming of Odell Beckham, uh, or whoever you want to, uh, whoever you want to compare him to. And unfortunately, due to some, you know, terrible NCAA double A rules, uh, probably the best edge rusher that's come out since Miles Garrett. Uh, and Ch- and Chase Young of Ohio State seem to be the kind of pick of the bunch. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, Young definitely. Young Young just looks like an absolute slam dunk. Um, I think I, I've not looked at the numbers recently, but I know earlier this year he was on pace for like the highest grade we've ever given to an edge defender in college. Um, and we started grading college uh, before Miles Garrett played in college, so it includes his season. It just looks like an absolute slam dunk pick. Um, I think that the things I was reading through the week were that we might see him back at the end of the year as well. Um, but there is an element of if he's competing for a national championship, I can understand why he's going to play, but he's already locked up. that He's, he's going to be the first defensive player off the board. I think you can pretty much book that. So I don't know if even if he does wind up being allowed to play, if he's going to wind up playing again. Um, and then at quarterback, you've got uh, the two guys who I think are going to be the first two off the board uh, this year are going to be uh, Joe Burrow at LSU and Tua from Alabama. Um, Burrow has kind of not necessarily come from nowhere because he had some high-level plays last year, just lacked a lot of consistency, and his bad was really bad. Um, but he's really improved and just taken himself from a guy who was probably a fringe first-round draft pick, maybe a second-round pick or lower, um, to probably going to be the first overall pick in the draft. I think at this point we're very much heading for the Bengals being the the team with the number one overall pick. And I think right now that would probably be Joe Burrow at quarterback. Burrow's an interesting one. I don't, I don't, don't know. There's something about him that I watched, I watched the Alabama LSU game at the weekend and it was, you know, a great spectacle. And a lot of analysts will always say, if you do well against Alabama, that's the closest thing you can possibly get to an NFL level de- defense in college. But there's something about the way and how bad, because I remember watching them last year and you were right, the bad was bad. So, there's something about that if I was picking, and I'm certainly not in a position to be paid in the front office, but there's just something about that that sticks to me potentially. You know, you get one good season, there's been a lot of guys that have had that in their final year coming to the NFL not done as well. Uh, but certainly he's turned that, you know, a sleeping giant in LSU, which has, you know, been the absolute, you know, I think they'll have two two in, uh, in Fulton and Delpit. They'll probably have two DBs taken in the first round this year. Um, and they always seem to churn out players um, on defence, but they've never quite found it on offence. Set apart from wide receivers, so interesting to to see to to see how it pans out in that, and it also seems to be a good year for tackles as well. I think the guy is it, is it Andrews from Alabama and uh, and Tristan Worth from Iowa seem to be the kind of top two in that conversation, potential top ten picks. 
Yeah, you've got, um, I think it's Andrew Thomas at, at Georgia who's done, he's been great for the last couple of years. Kind of fell off a little bit at the end of last year um, and Worfs had kind of replaced him as um, offensive tackle number one in the draft. But I think Thomas has came back on a little bit in the last few weeks and is probably going to be in that discussion to um, to wind up being the uh, the top tackle off the board. I think the other thing with Burrow that's interesting, I saw someone tweet that quarterbacks always he's a little bit older i think he's already older than lamar jackson and a couple other quarterbacks who went in the draft last year um or this year sorry uh and you can look at quarterbacks and sometimes they get like a little bit of a bounce kind of when they're 22 23 um and i've seen people suggest that you know maybe he's just getting that bounce in college whereas you know we might have seen it in his second year in the nfl if he was a little bit younger um and that would worry me a little bit is are you getting a little bit of a boost and you're not going to see him take a step forward um and the other thing with a high variance guy like him like you said there is his bad stuff last year was really bad you know Jameis Winston's stuff in college was his good was phenomenal. His freshman season at Florida State was one of the best I've seen from a freshman quarterback. Um, but when he had bad seasons, they were bad, and that's probably kind of the Eli Manning model in the sense that when you're a young quarterback, your your good can be great. If your bad's really bad and you go on a run of bad plays, it's going to be an absolute disaster. And you know, as much as Eli Manning won two Super Bowls, when we saw when it was bad, it was terrible for the Giants. Um, and Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay, we never got to see the good for any length of time. He did have sporadic um, good plays here and there. He had a couple of good games here and there, but never put it together in a four-game run the way an Eli Manning did, the way Joe Flacco did. Um, and it might be the case that Burrow winds up being a guy who is someone that is going to go for a run in the NFL, or he might be a guy who's going to be a bit streaky, or maybe it is just that he's taken a big step forward. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I'm just there's something about him. I don't know what it is. I think the, the the only player that I've watched at college with my untrained eye is Jeffrey Okuda, um, and he just seems like an absolute. You know, I think he probably could have come out you know earlier if if the if the NCAA uh, legislation would let him. But he just looks like an absolute dominant player on, at corner. Yeah, the uh, the ruling for the NCAA, I think, is it's sensible in some ways because there's a lot of guys who you know, would have a good freshman year and they would come out and they would still get drafted in the second or third round. Um, and they'd probably just get hurt in the NFL because there's guys who, you know, you see come into college and they're not, they're just, they're physically not there yet. Um, but the flip side of that is there are guys who are clearly, you know, if you see, you see clips of Miles Garrett when he was a freshman, was a grown man at like 17, 18 years old. He would have been absolutely fine in the NFL. He wouldn't have been ran out of that. So, there's a frustration with the NCAA rule. It also probably does prevent guys from getting hurt. But yeah, as you say, there's there's guys who it would be great to see be able to see in the NFL two, three years before we actually do get the chance to see them. Yeah, I mean, the Texans certainly felt that when we picked up Kevin Johnson for Wake Forest. He had all the physical attributes, great transitional quickness on the ball. Um, you know, similar to a guy I was watching at Florida, the Florida Gators, a C.J. Henderson. Again, he's about 180 pounds soaking wet. So you know, if he'd come out any earlier, he'd probably potentially not uh, <laughs> not not be ready to go and, and and stand up to the test of the physicality of the league. But definitely, you know, players that have got talent, but the the physicality is uh, def definitely something to, to watch out. So it'll be interesting, I think, for the draft for the Texans' point of view this year, as you said, don't have the picks. So it'll be it'll be up to you know finding gems in the second and the third round, and it'll predominantly be defense. I think we'll need to invest in because it's been pretty much an offense led investment up to this point. 
um, which has you know, definitely improved the team, but we're going to have to backfill some of the positions on the D. Houston Texans are playing the Baltimore Ravens this week. All in likelihood, the winner of this game is going to be, you know, in the position to to take the to take the first or first or second seed in the in the AFC. The Texans last year were a game away after dropping a late one in Philadelphia last year. Ironically, a Jadavian Clowney penalty on on Nick Foles, a fifteen yard penalty, got them out of their own end zone, and they marched all the way down and scored a late field goal after yet another. Big drive with Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, took a took a lead uh, in a game that you know that he, he fought them right back in for. So, Gordon, in terms of this Baltimore Ravens offense, then I just sat and watched back the, the tape of the uh, the New England game uh, of for a couple of weeks ago on the Sunday night football because I think I watched some of the, the the tape against Cincinnati, but I don't think that's a true barometer of where an offense is. But it, they, I mean, they they were sort of outlined for having the triple Heisman option. It's RPO. They run the wishbone. There's jet motions, averaging over 200 yards rushing a game, a run-heavy offense with an emphasis of passing to the tight ends, and then they take their chances out wide with Hollywood Brown, etc. How, well, first of all, how do you describe this offense, and two, how do you stop it? Yeah, I think I've been thinking a lot about the offense recently, and I think the the best way I would focus on it is that it's an offense that's designed to stress the opposing defense, but particularly stress linebackers. I think when you look at where they focus everything when you f- they focus the running attack on being able to beat you outside with Lamar Jackson doing freaky things like the Heisman package and pitching it to RG3 but also because you have to focus on the edge um, they're also just going to run the ball straight up the middle with Mark Ingram with Gus Edwards and they've got you know good offensive linemen like Marshall Yanda so if you're a linebacker there you know if your defensive line can't stop an inside run you're a linebacker who's going to be somewhere between trying to stop a Mark Ingram running straight up the middle or trying to get the fastest quarterback in the NFL before he can hit that edge and turn, you know, a two-yard gain into 10, 15, 20 yards or more. And then when you look at their passing game, the way they use play action, the way they use rollouts, um, and the threat of Jackson as a runner, and then throwing the ball to tight ends, it's again focusing on that middle part of the field and focusing on linebackers. And if you can... There's a great thing that I think for a long time people have thought for play action to be successful, you need a good running game. And the Ravens have that, but studies have shown that you don't even really need to run the ball well for play action to work because linebackers are just naturally programmed to, when they see the ball fake, they're going to run downhill. You know, They're even going to take that first step because they, they don't want to be late and given up a four or five yard run that they could stop for two yards. Um, so they're trying to make linebackers make that first step towards the running back. Then you get Lamar Jackson... Um, rolling out to the edge and all of a sudden now you've got linebackers who are faced with the do we go and try and stop Lamar Jackson running for 10 yards do we cover this tight end who's running a crossing pattern 10 yards across the field that's going to pick up 10 yards and now also they've added in Hollywood Brown who now that he's healthy again can stretch the field and take the top off a defense and it's just something that Greg Romans has done a great job building something that must be a massive headache for opposing defensive coordinators yeah, I mean, I don't know how you stop it. I think from some of the, you know, the, from the, the, the sort of jet sweep, orbit motion, whatever you want to term you want to use, certainly that reminded me of some of the stuff that we used to run uh, when, when Deshaun first came in the team to try and simplify the, the game for him. And I remember playing New England and the Masters of Defence, and that was why I was so surprised in trying to watch that tape back that, you know, the 
the uh, you know the grandfather of defense or modern or the modern defense and Bill Belichick were caught out by them. And, and, and when you look at a lot of the plays, some of it was just you know there was the, there was there was run options. They get you you know for particularly for the, if you watch the first touchdown. Jackson just waits to see if the end bites. He then cuts inside and he just takes it outside and walks it in. So I, I think it's it's difficult, as he said, because there's so many options in, and there's a, and there's such a variance of positions and an overlap of positions as well. Because a tight end's not necessarily a tight end. They've got the you know they're, they're sitting in the uh, they've got three people in the backfield quite a lot of the time is one of their um is their is their go to uh, formation. They run a lot out the pistol. Um, and it, it's quite difficult. I remember when we played New England, and with the time that 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 uh, Belichick really brought it to Watson, and, and the one time that you know that, that they had a full game was on the first game of last year, and all they did was put a QB spy on him at all times. You know, you give up one of your linebackers, and they just continued to crash the edges c- continuously. So I don't know if that's the formula. Certainly. You know, New England didn't think it was. Again, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and they, you know, they were, uh, you know, trailed them by 17 points. You know, when it was all said and done, so it's going to be interesting. I think it's difficult to see. I think that some of the weaknesses that you know, and so it was pointed out on the broadcast that that the, that the defense has because they're equally as good on the, you know, the opposite side of the ball. They've got a good strong front, a, a, a sort of almost the, the a mentality of you know they let players go like C G Mosley and they just you know they let them walk out the door and they just seem able ably replace them with. With other players and and it's the mentality defense I think that comes into it, you know and you know Suggs leaves and you know various other people leave but they add Errol Thomas who's now the sort of centerpiece on the back end with Marcus Peters it's going to be tough you know one stopping them but then two trying to throw it on that defense when you know you know I was there in Seattle when I saw Thomas run a pick six back against Watson because he just hit out his vision ever so slightly and then jumped the you know jumped in the passing lane and then took it back so you know he still looks like he's playing at a really high level and and, and so does a lot of that um you know that that defensive back core with you know Marlon Humphrey and Brandon Carr and all these guys it's it's a tough unit to to go against yeah, and I think Thomas is really starting to get comfortable in the Ravens' system as well. Um, I think a lot of people at the start of the year thought he wasn't playing that well, um, and it was just that he wasn't making some kind of standout plays. He was doing all the kind of fundamental things right, and I think people also got a little bit freaked out by the fact that the Ravens were having coverage busts all over the place, but most of them weren't actually Thomas's fault. Um, and you've seen the last couple of weeks he's starting to step up a little bit more as a playmaker, um, and that's something that can be huge. And the other, the fact that they have... They have four cornerbacks the last two weeks that they've played a lot. So a lot of teams, when they go into like a dime defense, when you have um, like seven D, uh, six or seven defensive backs on the field, um, that leads to you know you bringing in like a, a a big safety or safety to be like a small linebacker. Um, what the Ravens have done the last couple of weeks is they've just gone with four cornerbacks and they've used um, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith and Brandon Carr um, each for, I think they've each played like over 60% of the snaps the last two weeks. Um, so in an NFL that's becoming more about the passing game, um, that's something that's going to be really interesting to see because it's something that you can potentially, I think, take advantage of with a tight end. Uh but it's also, I think the Ravens' defense is built to try and, they're looking to try and force turnovers and try and force extra possessions for the offense because the offense is designed to not only stress your defense, but as you saw what they did against New England, the second half, they had two genuine drives, um, not including kneel downs at the end, and they were each like 14 play drives, eight, nine minutes off the clock that ended in touchdowns. So 
They want that offense to just drain the life out of opposing teams. Um, they'll take the big play if it's available to them, but if it's not, they'll happily sit and pick up seven, eight yards of play and take eight minutes off the clock. And then they want that defense to you know, have Marcus Peters score on a pick six or Marlon Humphrey score on a fumble return or just take the ball away and steal a possession for the offense that, you know, if they take the ball away, if they if they have a, a eight-minute drive against you, steal the ball back and can then keep it for another four or five minutes, all of a sudden that's taken a quarter off the clock and they've probably scored twice. So um, I, I think it's just a team who right now are... The other thing I think is they're, they're very loose as a team just now. Anything you see video-wise with them, they're on the longest winning streak in the NFL right now. The players just seem like they're having a lot of fun. So I, I think you almost want to try and put them in a position if you're the Texans whereby you can get out to a little bit of a lead. You can force that offense to to not be trying to um, grind out the clock. And instead, I, I don't... I don't really want to go down the route of force Lamar Jackson to beat you with his arm because I think he is a better quarterback than people gave him credit for. Um, and I think it's quite like a lazy narrative, but he is as a passer, probably somewhere around about average in the NFL. Um, he can make the big throws uh, as we saw on Sunday against the Bengals, but he's not a Deshaun Watson. He's not a Russell Wilson. He's not a Tom Brady as a passer. Um, certainly not yet anyway. So, if there is a way that you want to have that offense playing, it's you want them playing from behind and you want them trying to do the things that a traditional offense would do rather than allowing their offense to attack you in the way they've attacked everyone so far this season. Yeah, the start start on the road in in, uh, in that stadium is going to be going to be key. I think you know, and I think a big key for us will be Duke Johnson as well. He's been such a I mean I think we definitely overpaid and what will be a third round pick if he starts this week. Uh, that'll upgrade uh, the pick to um, a compensatory third to. To um, to Cleveland, but he um, he I think he could be, be the X factor. As I saw um, James White being worked in the passing game, watching this tape against uh, New England, and it's certainly something that is hard to legislate for. And he's you know been a real changer um, for us in terms of the way in which defensive coordinators try and attack us because he has to be accounted for at all times because he can run routes equally with you know with 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 some of the best uh, footwork with the wide receivers. So get getting a quick start and hopefully you know the Texans have got the luxury of coming off the bye. Um, for this one and hopefully they, they can put out a game plan Romeo Cornell the defensive coordinator has got five Super Bowl rings and he's going to have to really dig deep into that bag of experience he's got to try and to try and uh, put down a game plan for this team to be successful I think there was origins of that game plan were potentially laid in the game in London where they just did not let Minshew get out of the pocket and he just got continually more frustrated he couldn't find a pass and you know predominantly zone coverage which I think against a guy like Jackson is probably the way to go uh, because you'll probably you know if, if it's if you sit back against a mobile quarterback and man he breaks contain you know you've got a 30 yard scramble on your hands so it's going to have to be you know a, a zonal approach uh, for the for the DBs and hope that you can bait them into some mistakes because you know if you watch some of his, his throws I think even at the weekend you know they're not particularly tight spirals okay he did have a um, a, a perfect passer rating but that was on 15 completions so you know and I watched the Sean and, and NRG have uh, a perfect passer rating but that was on 33 completions you know so like you said I think they're they're playing at a very different level but offer you know similar threats and I know um, certainly from an interview that I heard this week I think the fact that Deshaun had won over him when Clemson played Louisville the last time these two guys got together that was that's something that uh, is, is motivating them to go and to go and uh, to go and get a result on, on the weekend it's going to be interesting because the the way in which the the, the Ravens 
play defence is difficult because they've got a high blitz rate. They're in the top one or two in the league in terms of blitz rates. They dial it up. You know, you see various DBs coming in, and that's been a big Achilles heel for Deshaun and his pre, you know, in, in previous defeats and. Um, against the Browns last year Greg Williams put out a bit of a blueprint to the rest of the league and he kind of struggled with that this year now people have given him a bit more respect and, and a bit more kind of standoff this year with some of the performances he's put in but certainly even the Carolina game this year at home which was our worst performance of the season by some distance you know DB pressures, mobile linebackers and uh, complicated looks on the back end were the order of the day um, to try and to try and confuse him and put, you know get him off his spot. So it's going to be a tough, tough game for the Texans this weekend because they've got a lot to play for. And as you said, we've got this game on the road. Then we've got a short week on Thursday night against the Colts. Potentially Brissett um, returns, and then we've also then we've got New England on Sunday night football the week after. So in the next three weeks, we'll know who this football team are. At the minute, there's been you know pockets of greatness. There's been pockets of you know mediocre. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how this how this kind of pans out. So, Gordon, if, if in terms of um, as we said, we've got a big game, a big three game stretch. How do you see this pan out for this Texans team? If you were to hazard a guess between now and the end of the season, yeah, I, I mean, I think the AFC right now it's so difficult to tell where it's going to go. I think, I think people almost nonchalantly just assume that New England will have one of those top. Um, one of those top two seeds but the fact that they've got to play New England and they lost to Baltimore doesn't necessarily make that a guarantee I think I, I think the Texans will beat New England um, I think they'll beat the Colts and I think this this Sunday's so there, there's part of me that thinks right now the way, the way Ravens are playing is very very difficult to stop them it's very difficult to beat them but the other part of me thinks that you know, if 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 Lamar Jackson plays well on Sunday and the Ravens beat the Texans, then as much as Russell Wilson's been great from a from a media perspective, Jackson will have played well in wins against the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. He'll have played well in wins against the Patriots and Brady, and he'll have played well in wins again in a win against the Texans and Sean Watson. So I think he will then become the front runner for the MVP award, and. I kind of just feel like the NFL doesn't really work that way. And, you know, there's any time you think this is, you know, this is set up to be fairly locked in in week 11, it never winds up that way. So I think if I was to pick right now, I think I'd probably I'd probably lean on the Texans on Sunday as well. It's, it's a tough one because you think three wins of this stretch is going to be, you know, not impossible, but it's, it's, it's a lot to ask. Um, even with a team coming off the bye. I'm glad you said I think we'll beat New England because we are so grossly overdue a victory against uh, the Patriots. It's not It's not even funny. So I said at the start of the season, I thought whatever happened, it might be an average season, you know, 9 to 10 wins uh, based on the talent level. But I thought we'd potentially beat New England because it's just, it just has to happen. Um, but certainly they've got a lot you know, longer and, and more dominant streaks against other teams. But um, yeah, Watson going into that environment on the road, if we can get a win, that's fine. But I, I wrote an article on our on their podcast website um, this week just about the about reviewing the season. I said, I think most Texans will have to logically give up both those games to beat the Colts and just put ourselves out in a position because whatever happens in that game will still be one one uh, one game ahead of them uh, on the head to the head. So if we, if we can win that game and go two games ahead of them and put us in a position uh, to, to win the division, then you'd probably take that. But as you said, if if you want to be serious in the in the off season when it gets down to the gets gets down to the you know the big boys left, you have to be one of those top two seeds, and we were almost that last year. So you think to show progress, it, 
it would have to be a one or a two seed, you know. And if if you know if you can get the 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 home, the home seed, I always thought that would be a va- an advantage. But then some of the performances, you know, Kansas City particularly this year, some of the performances Deshaun has been able to put on the road, it almost doesn't matter at times. Um, in terms of where this team can go, so um, no, interesting and a guy that knows his, his stuff, Gordon. Um, thank you very much, mate. Thanks for your time. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure to have you on this week, uh, and hopefully speak to you again soon. Yeah, thanks very much. It's, uh, it's always good to just spend an hour talking football. And that's all we've got time for again this week on the Turn Up For What podcast. I've been your host, Ewan Disonqua. Thanks very much for joining us. Please share, subscribe and download the podcast. Get a word out there to your Texans friends. Huge game on Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens in Maryland that's going to decide the seeding for the AFC South when it's all said and um, Deshaun's got a big game to play and we'll hopefully all watch that on Sunday and we'll be joining you next week to discuss it so wherever you're downloading from wherever you're listening from thank you once again and we are Texans (laughs) 